0: Please open your Bibles to John 10. I'll have a little scripture reading before I get into the main text in Acts chapter 2. John chapter 10. I'll begin reading in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd And they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. And then going on to verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, Pinterest. Our world is full of influencers, influences. People that want to impact who we are and the decisions that we make. We used to call them role models. The question for the role model is what should I be? What should I do? How should I live? And unfortunately, many of the influences we have on those platforms I just mentioned are not so good. We have a world that's looking for role models. I spent some time in Calcutta, India, on a missions trip when I was a late teenager. And I remember going down the streets in Calcutta and seeing, it's a totally different world, and, and seeing sheep going down the street. And they'd be led by a shepherd. And these were urban sheep. They would live on the grasses and whatever they could find in the city. And there were many flocks. And what amazed me, and I saw this happen a couple times, where the flocks would cross each other as the shepherds were leading them. And I'd wonder, how did these sheep know which shepherd to follow? And I asked an Indian man, and he said, oh, the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And to me it sounded the same, like all the shepherds are making the same noise, but the sheep knew the difference from one shepherd to the next. Everyone is a follower. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked this earth, and he called on 12 men to follow him. They followed, and many joined along the way. Thirteen times in the Gospels, we see Jesus say, follow me. Mark 16 says this, That was the message that Jesus gave to the apostles, to the disciples. And before Jesus ascended into heaven, as we get to the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, and as he had completed his work here on earth, he told them that the work that he had to do no longer would be his work, but would become their work, their job. That it would become their life goal. And what was that work? To make disciples. That is, to make those that would be sheep of Jesus. In fact, it says this in Matthew 28 And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son. And of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's a lot of things that we can follow, directions that we can go in life. And you know what? We become like what we follow. As I talk about those platforms, we become like what we follow, we become like who we follow. And so the question I have for you as I begin my sermon today is who do you follow? Who is your shepherd? The church at its highest is those who follow Jesus. In fact, you could define the church that way as those who follow Jesus. Those who are transformed by the Spirit of God into the Bride of Christ, into the Body of Christ, into the Temple of the Living God. And so we begin in Acts chapter 2. By way of background, as we get into this sermon text, I will read a few verses, starting in verse 36 of Acts chapter 2. And the question I have for my sermon today, the title of the sermon, is What is the church? What is it? The purest form we see here in Acts chapter 2 at the very beginning. The Holy Spirit has descended. Tongues of fire, a a sound of wind in Jerusalem. And all the people come together and they're wondering what this is, what a sight it is. Peter loses no opportunity here in sharing the message of the gospel. And out of that message, at the very end, this is what it says. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, that is the crowd, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, For the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying save yourselves from this crooked generation. And look at the results in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized And added about 3,000 souls. The work of the Holy Spirit. Here's the Holy Spirit working and doing miraculous things. But not only in doing those miraculous things, but the greatest miracle of all in saving these people. Causing them, all these people that have come from different places. They came to Jerusalem for a feast from different backgrounds, different ways of life, brought them all together into one thing that we're going to look at here the church. One body of Christ. This is not one of the points that I'm making today, but don't take this for granted. There is a point of entry into the church. There is a point when someone who is outside of the sheepfold comes in, when they receive Christ as their savior, and they become part of the flock of God. Now we're going to see what they did. They came into the church, they're in the sheepfold of Christ. What did the church do first? What did it look like? I'll read the text from Acts two forty-two through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your word would go out today and have an effect on the hearts of the hearers. I pray, Father, that Jesus would be the center, that he would be glorified in his church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen first point today people that are committed to the same thing that same thing by the way is christ same person we're committed to the same thing ultimately is christ there's a certain common denominator in everything in the true church this common denominator is essential and important they say if you have 10 christians you'll have 10 different ideas of how to do something Ten different opinions. However, true Christians believe essentially the same thing and practice essentially the same thing. The first thing that we will see is people that are committed to the same thing. The first thing is a commitment to doctrine. A commitment to doctrine, that is teaching. Verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know, we have a problem before we're in Christ. In fact, we may have some rebellion even after we've trusted Christ as our Savior. The problem the natural man has is we don't appreciate God or the teaching of the Bible, naturally. It's offensive to us. 1 Corinthians teaches that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. Even in the church, we can have this problem. You know what we do in churches? We find teachers and doctrines that make sense to us. We like pastors that make us feel good. We like doctrines that make us feel good. We need doctrine that doesn't make us feel good, but it reveals who God is. And We need doctrine that teaches us who we are. I'm not saying that the world's teaching is unnecessary. Yeah, the world's teaching is necessary. Maybe you found this out already. I like agricultural illustrations, all right, because I could identify with them. Um, The Bible is not a textbook on how to farm. I didn't go to the Bible this year to figure out how much fertilizer to apply to my fields or how to raise livestock. But it is a textbook on how to know God while you're farming and raising livestock. It is a textbook on how to love your wife and take care of your kids and how to be neighborly. It is the teaching, the doctrine of the word of God that makes our hearts right with God. It is a textbook on how to know God in this fallen world. David said, of the scriptures in Psalm 19 the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul Can you imagine he's saying that at a Pentateuch <laughs> reviving the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple the precepts of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes the fear of the Lord is clean Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then he says this, More to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. David was committed to doctrine. To the word of God. And here we are in Acts 2, it is the holy spirit applying the word of god that makes the church a community that is knit together as the word is applied to them, a spirit-filled people that is declaring the word of god one to another and then they're living it out with each other. As uh, as Paul wrote the church at Colossae in Colossians 3, he said this to them, let the word of Christ doctrine let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And out of that, what does the church look like? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. But it starts with the Word. You see that? It starts with right doctrine. There's a problem in many churches today. Many have settled for knowing little, studying less, and not thinking for themselves at all. We end up with the people that are devoid of the work of the Spirit because they're devoid of the impact of the Spirit's Word in their life. The lack of commitment to doctrine has caused a decline in the church today. In fact, it's this one thing that I would say is the single biggest problem in the church, we lack the word of God. In fact, I believe it's the greatest issue in the area that I'm coming from in Ashtabula. A lot of churches, very little depth of doctrine. Second, the 2nd subpoint people that are committed to the same thing that is a commitment to doctrine but then secondly a commitment to fellowship to fellowship well what is that we're going to see more of this actually in verse 44 and 45 as we dig further into this text it says and the fellowship the word fellowship could also be translated as partnership being partners or perhaps togetherness a togetherness In fact, we get this this word, fellowship, from the Greek word koine, or koinonia. Koine is common, holding things in common with each other. Koinonia is having a a commonality or a partnership, one with another. And Your Father Loves You by J.I. Packer, he said this about this concept. What is meant by fellowship? Then he says, Gossip. I do like J.I. Packer because he's got this English-Canadian background. Cups of tea? Is that fellowship? We'd say coffee, right? Tours? He says, no. What is being referred to is something of quite a different order and on quite a different level. This is fellowship as the New Testament understands it, and there is clearly a world of difference between that and mere social activities. He goes on to say, give and take, give and take, is the essence of fellowship, and give and take must be the way of fellowship in the common life of the body of Christ. When you're giving advice to couples in marriage, we say it's giving and taking. I would say just give. But that's how marriages work, right? Give and take. And actually there's this concept, like marriage, that's found in this word koinonia, that type of closeness. Packer goes on in his book, again, Your Father Loves You, and he says, Christian fellowship is two-dimensional, and it must be two-dimensional. And again, Christ is always the center. Without Christ being in the center, nothing else will be in place where it ought to be in the church. He says this, and it has to be vertical before it can be horizontal. We must know the reality of fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, before we can know the reality of fellowship with each other and our common relationship to God. The person who is not in fellowship with the Father and the Son is no Christian at all and so cannot share with Christians the reality of fellowship. So fellowship is the result of us knowing God. As we know God, as we know the shepherd of the sheepfold, we will know the other sheep. We are working in Ashtabula and North Kingsville we're working hard to create a culture of fellowship in our local church. In order for this to happen, we believe it's essential that we spend time with each other. We're not just seeing each other on Sundays, but where we spend time getting to know each other, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. But if we don't again, if we don't know each other, we don't know what the burdens are. If we don't spend time together, we don't understand what's going on in the lives of others. Fellowship can only happen when we're close to each other. We've been changed by the grace of God, so now we can love. That is fellowship. We can know each other. Sometimes I like to go back to that that Western, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know what I'm talking about? Because there's good and there's bad, and then there's just some ugly things, right? As As you get into people's lives, it's the truth. We all have it. We all have our problems, but fellowship will let us know each other even on that level. Not just the niceties, but beyond the niceties. So we can help each other grow in Christ. It takes time, it takes work, it takes commitment. Third subpoint commitment to Christ. Commitment to Christ. All these things are commitment to Christ, but specifically commitment to Christ, to the breaking of bread. Breaking of bread likely implies in this text the Lord's table, or at least a portion of a meal that was recognized as the Lord's table. We know what the Lord's table is, communion. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul told the church at Corinth, this is the Lord's table. We remember Jesus. The center of our religion, the center of our faith is Christ. There's a commitment to Christ. This is the height of Christian fellowship and worship in the church is the Lord's table. There was a commitment that was extreme. Now, this first generation Christians, they knew what they were doing. They were told to be baptized. That was a big deal. And those Jews were told to be baptized. By the way, that was something that was reserved only for Gentiles or for somebody that was changing faith to something new. Very big deal to tell Jewish people you need to be baptized. Wow. You serious? They committed to Christ in such a way where they understood this is a major change. This is not just Judaism, there's something new here. In the early church, the first few centuries, as the church went out into the Gentile world, the Gentiles didn't know the Old Testament, they didn't know the law of God, they didn't understand the concept of Messiah. And they heard it, and there were some that were saved, and yet they were confused about a lot of things. And so the church came up with a process called catechesis. In catechesis, they would teach these new converts about the Christian faith and the background of the Christian faith. It took three years. And for three years, they weren't allowed to partake of the Lord's table they would be dismissed at that portion of their meeting. And Finally, after three years, if a catechumen had shown themselves to be faithful in the Christian walk and learned the Christian doctrines, they'd be baptized. Typically, it was on an Easter morning, they'd be baptized. And then after that, they would partake of the Lord's table with the church. Very serious thing. The breaking of bread, Christ is the center. And it was a very serious thing in the early church. Why is that? Because we're remembering Christ. The central focus of the true church is Christ and the work that he has done on our behalf. And we all share in him, and we all share him in common with each other as symbolized through the Lord's table. And yet, so many churches today have lesser things that become the focus of fellowship, that become the focus of worship. And for many churches, they would say, what's more important than the building? What's more important than the programs? What's more important than the music? I will tell you what it is, right? What's more important is, how is your relationship with Christ going today? Do you love him more today? Do you follow him more today than you did a month ago, a year ago? Let us keep the main thing the main thing. Yes, these other things are important. I'm not saying they're unimportant, okay? But only in so much as they serve knowing Jesus and making him known are they important. As we look at the Lord's table and this commitment to Christ, the Lord's table was also a great equalizing force in the church. There is only one sacrifice. There is only one Savior, only one God, and everyone that partakes is meeting on equal ground. Now, the church eventually abused this as the church went on through the centuries. But in the early church, everybody was an equal, right? Equally a sinner, equally in need of grace. All of our, the ways that we differentiate ourselves melts away as we break bread and we remember Jesus. We are sheep of one fold with one shepherd, the Savior of our souls. Third subpoint, a commitment to prayer. A commitment to prayer. And the prayers, it says in the text, and the prayers. Romans 12 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Be constant. God speaks through his word to us, we speak to God in prayer. Prayer is a result of our living in dependence on God. I understand dependence pretty well. In fact, I have twelve dependents. In fact, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's how the government defines them, right? And My taxes as dependents. They live in my home. They take up my space. They eat my food. They use my electricity. Close that refrigerator door, please. I love them. I love my kids. And in our relationship of love, I speak to them about life. I speak to them about my desires for them, my hopes for them, my dreams for them. And they talk to me about their needs and their problems. They're my dependents because they depend on me for nurture. They depend on me for love. They depend on me for support. If they didn't depend on me, they probably wouldn't be mine, would they? In the same way, it's natural for God's children to speak to God. We are his dependents. He speaks to us in his love. He has desires for us. He has goals for us. And he wants us to talk to him as we struggle along life's way. As we fall down, he wants to pick us up. And he wants us to cry out to him, Dad. There was a commitment to to prayer in the early church. Now, what do you suppose the first church prayed for? We don't have to guess, do we? There's plenty of examples given to us in the scriptures. I'm sure they prayed the scriptures of the Old Testament. And in fact, as they prayed those scriptures of the Old Testament, in a whole new light, it's like, wow, all of a sudden the, the light came on and we understand this now. You ever, you ever had a scripture text do that? It just like came alive. You read through the Psalms and you, now the Messianic Psalms is applied to Jesus. Powerful. It all makes sense now. Let us sing about our Savior from the Psalms. Their prayers are now Christ-centric prayers, Jesus-centric prayers, gospel-centric prayers. And as the apostles instructed them, I'm sure they also prayed what Jesus commanded the apostles to pray. What did Jesus tell the apostles to pray about? Matthew 9, he said this, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I'm sure they were praying for that. In fact, I see it happen shortly thereafter, this text in the early church. How about Matthew 5.44, but I say to you, Jesus said this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Persecution's not far away. The church is praying for those that were on the outside, for them. You can't read through the prayers of the New Testament and not be struck with how different they are from much of the prayers in our churches today. I'm not here to browbeat you, but to encourage you. Pray like the scriptures. Learn your prayers from the scriptures. The Apostle Paul, as he prayed for the church at Ephesus, prayed like this. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And he says, this is, the me- this is what I'm praying about. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of Himself, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. In, in, in many words, He says, I want you to understand your salvation. I want you to understand the depth of your salvation. It goes on in Ephesians 3. He says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. He's praying again. From, whom the whole, from every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according... To the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you pray for fellow believers like that? Do you pray for the church of Christ like that? That's the example we have. At Living Water, we have been praying, as churches do. We have our prayer meetings. We have our prayer chain. In fact, we have a text prayer chain. However, what we have been praying for has been changing. The content of our prayers has been shifting from good prayer requests to perhaps the best prayer requests. There's nothing wrong to pray for physical ailments. We should be praying for those things. But there's a deeper prayer for the heart of those that are walking through those great difficulties for the glory of God to shine through the midst of the dark days. We are praying in our church that we would be a people of faith, especially in the challenges of life. We are praying that God would grow us in the knowledge of of him You see the difference? The center of our prayer in the church should be Christ, not not man. Christ should be the center. Second main point, what is the church? What is the church? People that observe the same thing, and that is ultimately the work of God. As God works, they see it. That is the church. You may say, doesn't everyone observe the same thing? You can look at things from a lot of different angles. And you can see many different things. I could probably look up at the sky today and see a cloud from this angle that somebody a couple miles away is looking at and see something totally different. Perhaps we all see the same thing, but we do not understand the same thing in the same way, do we? Many believed when Jesus did great miracles. They were following Him. They believed. But there were many that chose not to believe. They saw the same thing. And decided, well, in fact, someone as far as to say that Jesus did it by the power of Satan. They saw it that much differently. And here in Acts chapter 2, some saw God and some saw a challenge to their man made religion. Only 3,000 people were converted, not all of Jerusalem. In fact, if we go back earlier in the text, in verses 12 and 13, there were some that said, of the Holy Spirit's work, these people are drunk. Because they saw something different. Maybe even perhaps mocking what the Holy Spirit was doing. But the church are people that observe the same thing. They watch the work of God and they understand it for what it is. And it says in verse 43 of Acts chapter 2 an awe came upon every soul. The King James uses the word fear. There was an awesome, reverence that happened because they saw God moving and God working. If we live lives that truly understand who God is and we see God at work in the church, we will live in awe of what God is doing. The early church was in awe of the work of God And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The wonders and signs were there to authenticate the ministry of the apostles and the early church. Third point. People that share all things. And this goes back to those that are in fellowship. They share all things. You know, sharing is something that isn't natural to man. I know I've used my kids too much as an illustration, but I can tell you this because I have children and they have siblings. And especially in a large household with as many kids as I have, it's hard to find 12 of the same thing or to find adequate amount of the same thing. Sharing is not something that is natural for man. We are naturally selfish. In fact, we use the word mine or my an awful lot. I don't have to teach my kids selfishness, right? We know it naturally. And yet, as believers, something changes when we come to know Christ as our Savior. No longer is it mine, is it my time, is it my money, my opportunity, my stuff. John Piper said this about what Luke said about fellowship. This was one of Luke's great passions. That the Christians use their possessions for the needs of others. And not just for their own comforts. Luke alone tells the story. I didn't know this until Piper brought it out. He alone tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke alone tells the parable of the rich fool who built bigger barns and the story of God's great banquet that people wouldn't come to because they had fields and cattle to tend to, and the story of the dishonest manager, and the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, all in Luke. Luke wrote Acts. Luke is very interested in this. More than any other New Testament writer, Luke stresses the danger of letting our lives consist of the things that we possess. The radical fellowship, Piper says, of Acts 2 was antidote for the suicide of materialism committed by the man who built bigger and bigger barns and lost his soul. And it says in Acts chapter two, verse forty-four, "And all who believed were together, and had all things in common." These saved people stayed together. I can imagine if I was from out of town, many of these people were from out of town. They were visiting for the feast. They were saved. They didn't want to leave. They were sitting under the teaching of the apostles. I wouldn't want to go anywhere either. All right? They had just come to know Christ. They were excited about their new faith. But where did they go? It wasn't like there was a Hampton Inn down the road. And so they stayed with other believers. They shared among themselves. This isn't talking about communism. I know some people go that far. Because it says in verse 45, it wasn't compulsive. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They didn't just give up everything, but as there was need. They saw the need and they wanted to provide for the need. That is fellowship. As Christians are willing to sacrifice for other Christians. Is this how churches function today? Many do not. But the example of the early church was one of love and self sacrifice. Ever had the joy of giving up something to be able to provide for someone else? Oftentimes we give extra, right? We got a little we got a little more than we have to have. So we give ever had ever given up something that you needed in order to provide for someone else that needed? Ever had that joy? Ever had to miss a meal or miss a recreational opportunity or give up something that you treasured so that something else, somebody else could have it? That's what the church is, is people that share all things. They love to the point of self-sacrifice. Fourth point, people that are united by one Lord. People that are united by one Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. People that are united by one Lord. And day by day attending the temple together. How do we know the difference between professors and possessors of the Christian faith? There are many that claim to be Christians but there's only a few that actually are. Well, what's the difference? John tells us the difference in his, his first epistle where he said in chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been, been of us, they would have no doubt had continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Maybe there's a little bit of a stretch here, but this is, again, talking about unity. Christians stay united together. They're brought into the church by God. We're going to see that in a a little bit here in this. They're brought into the church by God, and they're kept there together by God. Their perseverance in the church is a work of God as well. Day by day, they met in their homes, and when they met together corporately, it was at the temple. And breaking bread in their homes... House to house in the King James Version. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Gladness here is a concept of simplicity. was Simple, pure, and good. There was no controversy. There was single-hearted commitment to Christ and to Christ's people in the church. Does this sound like the churches today? I hope so. I hope that's what our churches look like. Verse 47, praising God. You know, it's easy to praise God when things are going well. It's easy to praise God when you can say simple, pure, and good, isn't it? And we should, we should strive to maintain that in the church. It's important that we live peaceably with one another. That we strive for that unity in the church. And out of that, it says, and having favor with all the people. You know, where there is a church that is united by the Lord, there will be respect for that church in the community. The people will look at that church and say, there is something special about that place. There is something special about that people. We can't do that in the Lions Club. We can't do that through the athletics at our local school district. It doesn't work that way. You know, we might be friendly. <laughs> but not in the same way those people are over there at that place. This doesn't mean that everybody in the community agrees with the church, all right? But it does mean that even those that persecute the church admired the true Christians. As we read the testimony of the early Roman governors as they were persecuting the church, they were amazed at how these people lived, how they loved one another. The outcome of good Christian conduct in the church is a powerful message of the gospel. Is a powerful message making the gospel visible in the community. In fact, it might be the most powerful message that you have to share the gospel. And then it says in verse 47 And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This shows us the sovereignty of God in salvation. It is God's work building the church. It also shows that the unity of the church is not a man made program. We don't create the unity of the church God does by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God. It's a God thing. If you have it, it's because God has done it. The Lord is the one that adds to this body called the church. He is also the one that maintains the unity. In conclusion, in conclusion, To answer the question that I posed at the beginning and I hope I've answered it fairly well with the points that I gave you. What is the church? We are followers. We are followers. We are sheep. Sheep of one shepherd that is guiding us through this fallen world. Guiding us with the rest of his visible flock. One shepherd caring for us until he brings us home. We are his sheep, his people. And remember that, people. We are his sheep, his people. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Here we are. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. The church are people that are committed to the same thing that is, doctrine, fellowship, Christ, and prayer. People that observe the same thing. People that are sharing all things. People that are united by one Lord. You become like what you follow. Who do you follow? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word today. I pray, Father, for each soul that is here. I know there are many that belong to this local assembly. I pray, Father, that they would see the church in the light of Acts 2, that they would desire to be like the church in Acts 2. Day by day, we need that reminder. And then also, Father, I pray if there's any that are here as visitors, that they would see this and want what is here. They would see the church. They would see the ideal that is set in the scriptures and say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to become one of his sheep. I want him to be my shepherd and savior of my soul. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.